Welcome, friends. You are listening to the podcast for First Christian Church in Fort Myers, Florida. To learn more, join us online at fccfm.org. It is a blessing to be able to share God's Word with you today. Thanks for joining us. Good morning, church. Today we are kicking off a new sermon series, a short series, three weeks long. It's from the book of Daniel. It's called Stand, and the tagline for the series is Honoring God in a world that won't. Now, before we dig into our message for today, I want to share several changes that we're making to our church staff that we're really excited about. We're, we're changing Jimmy Aker's title to Care Pastor to better reflect his ministry, his special gifts of caring for others, calling on people in need, going to the hospital, being with people in hard times, counseling, all those things he does so well. Jimmy is our Care Pastor going forward. Uh, Likewise, we're moving Melissa Hillman into a full-time pastoral role as our Connections Pastor. She's going to be leading all of our strategic ministries and initiatives to welcome people into our church, especially to connect new people into the whole life of our church. Further, we're adding Adam Boardman as our facilities and production manager. Uh, During the week, what he's going to be doing is overseeing all the stuff pertaining to our buildings and grounds, and during the weekend, he'll be helping produce our worship services. And then finally, after having Marcus Miller work as an intern in our student and children's ministries the past four months, we've invited him to stay on full time. And so he and he and Justin Fincannon, they're going to be working together to lead our student ministries. And so I just want you to be aware of those changes and additions. When you see those folks, let them know how much you appreciate their ministry here. And uh, just make sure to celebrate them and, and what they're doing. It's always great to add great people to what I consider to be an already great staff. All right, if you have your Bibles with you today or perhaps a Bible app on your smartphone, I would ask you to go ahead and open it up to Daniel chapter one, Daniel chapter 1, and, and here's where we want to go uh, for today and then also for this whole series. Here's our big idea. When the world seems to be falling apart, Daniel and his friends show us how to stand together. When the world seems to be Falling apart, Daniel and his friends show us how to stand together. And so I just wonder this morning, how many of you ever feel like our world is just falling apart? Just falling apart. For me in my own life, probably the first time I really felt like the whole world was falling apart was September 11, 2001. I mean, there were times before then when I was worried about my world falling apart, but not the whole world. When I was in fourth grade, an up until then successful construction company my parents built from the ground up went belly up. And after that, our fairly affluent family went from having lots of resources to really struggling. I remember... My parents having to trade in their luxury cars for a couple of Fords. Cry me a river, right? (laughs) Obviously, no big deal. But my dad had to take a job in another city, and for a year he lived in an apartment hours away from our home. And as I've reflected on that the past few years, 
I've wondered if, if that's the only place he could find work or if my parents were actually separated for a year and didn't want to tell us kids until they could figure things out. I don't know. What I do know is he was out of the house for a year and things were pretty chaotic for our family and I was certainly worried about my world falling apart. But the whole world I mean, I was born after the Vietnam War ended and, and the Soviet Union fell when I was a little boy and we entered for at least a, a short time, perhaps the most peaceful and prosperous time in world history in the 1990s and things seemed pretty good. But then 9-11 happened and I worried that the whole world would fall apart. And since then, there's been war after war and, and meanwhile, there's been this significant shift in our social consciousness, some for the better, some for the worse. And of course, we've all endured a global pandemic causing extreme loss for some and significant trauma for all. And every time there's another war in the Middle East, people claim it's the end of the world. Now, I got big doubts about that one. But some are banging the drums. Of course, our politics are a mess no matter which side of the aisle you fall on. And if I spend too much time watching the news or listening to all the fear-pushing media personalities, it gets me wound up about all the stuff. Anybody with me? But then I study history, and I study the scriptures, and I remember, as Solomon says in the book of Ecclesiastes, there's nothing new under the sun. And this is, this, this worrying about the world falling apart, this is a normal part of human experience. Every generation has believed the world is falling apart and every generation has worried about future generations and every generation has had its own battles and its own struggles and its own hard times to endure. Whether it's our battles today or Daniel's battles 2,600 years ago. Well, in Daniel chapter 1, the Jewish world really was falling apart. Ten of the 12 tribes of Israel had fallen a generation earlier to the Assyrians, but Judah, whose capital city was Jerusalem, and one other tribe had remained until Daniel chapter 1. Here's what it says. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. These he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put them in the treasure house of his God. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of his court officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility. Young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and the literature of the Babylonians, and the king assigned to them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's tables. They were to be trained for three years, and after that, they were to enter the king's service. So the Assyrians defeated Israel, and, and then in our text for today, the Babylonians defeated Jerusalem and Judah. King Nebuchadnezzar raided Judah of all of its riches, like silver and gold, but also of its most talented young 
leaders. And these talented young leaders, they're the subjects of this whole series. They, the, the text says they were physically fit, they were handsome, they were intelligent, they were educated. Verse 4 tells us they were uniquely qualified to serve in the king's palace. And so they were, they were carried off, they were, they were exiled to Babylon where they would receive additional education, you might insert the word indoctrination, into the culture and the politics and the religion of Babylon, and they were expected to fully assimilate into Babylonian culture, verses 6 and 7. Among those who were chosen were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The chief official gave them new names to Daniel, the name Belshazzar, to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael, Meshach, and Azariah, Abednego. And so these young men, they were expected to fully assimilate and to offer their loyalty to King Nebuchadnezzar, and they were given new names to signify this change. And it's not so easy for us to see this in our English translations of the Bible, but, but they were changing their Hebrew names into Babylonian names. You see, their old names, their Hebrew names were associated with, with our God, with the God of the Bible, while their new names were associated with the Babylonian gods. And so they were being stripped of their Jewish heritage in favor of Babylonian heritage, Babylonian culture, and especially, don't miss this, Babylonian religion. And honestly, there wasn't a lot they could do about it. They couldn't prevent their capture and exile. They couldn't protest being forced into the service of the king. They couldn't control what other people called them. And you just have to wonder if you, you read this story, if they just felt totally and completely out of control in their culture. And they couldn't control what was happening around them. They couldn't control what was happening to them. They couldn't even control how they were treated. But there was one thing that they could control, one thing. And that was what they put into their mouth. Verse 8 says this, But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and the royal wine, and he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. And the Bible tells us that God blessed Daniel for this one. To, to us, it doesn't seem like a big deal, but this one act, the Bible tells us God blessed Daniel. Verses 9 through 14 says, Now God had caused the official to show favor and compassion onto Daniel. But the official told Daniel, I'm afraid of my Lord, the king who has assigned your food and drink. Why should he see you looking worse than the other men your age? The king would have my head because of you. Daniel then said to the guard whom the chief official had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, he said, please test your servants for 10 days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. And so he agreed to this and he tested them for 10 days. And again, this might not seem like a big deal to us. We're like, What's this all about? Well, it was a big deal to Daniel, it was a big deal to his friends, and it was a big deal to those who were appointed over him. And you might say, well, why, why did food choices matter to them? Why was that such a big deal to them? Well, for one, food in ancient days, and especially meat, came from animals sacrificed to the gods. And so for Daniel and his friends to eat the meat provided by the Babylonians, they would have to participate in Babylonian religious rites. 
Furthermore, food choices in all Near Eastern cultures, in all Semitic cultures, food choices, whether Jewish or otherwise, uh, very important to them. The idea of having clean foods and unclean foods may not mean much to our sensibilities, but they still mean something to Semitic peoples. A few years ago, uh, Janice was visiting with one of her friends, a co-worker, a Palestinian Muslim from Gaza, in fact, and they were having a religious conversation, and Janice said, what would, what would you consider to be the greatest sin possible? Would it be, would it be murder? Would it be theft? She said, oh, those are, those are all very bad things. Well, what's the worst? Eating pork. Eating pork would be the greatest sin we could commit. Now, I know we love our bacon and our sausage and our pizza. You know, when our church took a trip to Israel this past spring, we noticed how hard the restaurants there worked to maintain a kosher menu. And I got to tell you, we didn't get to eat anything with pork. But we also didn't even get to mix any meats with any cheeses. You say, what? God forbid. No, it's not a big deal to us, but it is a big deal to them. It still is today as it was back then, and it certainly was for Daniel and his friends. And so Daniel and his friends, they can't control what's going on around them, and they can't control what's happening to them, but they can control what goes in them. And so they draw a line with food. They draw a kosher line. They can't eat the food. So what happens? Verses 15 through 20. At the end of the 10 days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. And so the guard took away their choice food and choice wine, and and they were to drink the water and the vegetables they were given instead. And to these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning, and Daniel could understand various visions and dreams of all kinds. And at the end of the time set by the king to bring them into his service, the chief official presented them to Nebuchadnezzar, and the king talked with them, and he found none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And so they entered the king's service. In every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters in his whole kingdom. And so Daniel and his friends, they were living in a land They had no desire to stand for God. And yet he and his friends still found a way to do so in their context. So let us, from them, let us discover how we can do the same. How can we stand for God in a world that won't? There are four things I want to mention to you today. Here's the first one. We have to stand for something. We have to stand for something. We don't stand for nothing. We stand for something. Just like Daniel, when when almost all of his choices were taken away from him, he still found something to stand for. And for him, it was what he would and wouldn't put in his body. Daniel chapter 1, verse 8. Daniel resolved not defile himself with the royal food and wine. Participation in a Babylonian diet is where Daniel drew the line. And again, it wasn't just about the food. It was about the cultural dynamics attached to the food. And so that's where Daniel drew the line. I wonder this morning, as you think about your life, you think about your context, think about your convictions, where do you draw the line? What do you stand for? 
And what influence in your life is helping you to determine that? What do you stand for? You know, our world is always asking us to draw a line on various issues. It seems like every power in our society is pushing us, shoving us, trying to force us to to take sides, right? Political sides, economic sides, environmental sides, ethnic sides. Everybody's supposed to take sides. Everybody wants to know what side you're on on almost every issue out there. And I don't know about you, but but I'm just going to speak for me, and I'm going to say this. I don't follow a side. I follow Jesus. And if you're wondering, and if we're wondering where we should take a stand, the answer is we look no further than Jesus. We are Christ followers. We follow Christ. And so we read the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7, where Jesus outlines his way of life for his followers. We see what Jesus stands for, and then we say we will stand for what Jesus stands for, being the salt and the light of the world, loving your enemies and praying for your persecutors, following the sexual ethics of Jesus, responding to hate with love, giving to the poor, not publicizing your righteous acts, not judging others, making space at your table for different kinds of people, being a true disciple of Jesus, not just a religious person, not just a church goer, but a disciple of Jesus by building your whole life on the solid ground of his teachings. These are the ways of Jesus. These are the things we are called to stand on and to stand for. And then we stand in his grace when we fall short of his standards. Because the truth is we all fall short. We have to stand for something. Let it be for Jesus and his kingdom alone. We have to stand for something. That's number one. Number two, we stand with honor. We stand with honor for God and we stand with honor for others. And I just want you to notice how Daniel wants to honor God. And one of the ways he honors God is by honoring the people around him. Even the people who are far from God. Even his captors, even his opponents. Verse 8, again, it says, Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and the wine. And he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself in this way. Notice he asked, and he asked respectfully. He didn't demand, he didn't scream and holler, he didn't put his opponents on blast on social media. Because he wanted to honor God, he understood that he needed to honor people. Verse 12, Daniel says, please test your servants. And again, he's respectful, he's polite, and he's kind. He's not hateful or divisive. He honors God by honoring the people around him, even the ones we might not think deserve honor. If we skip to chapter 2, we see Daniel's honorable treatment of others again. In verse 14, it says, Daniel spoke with wisdom and with tact. He understood to to get anywhere, especially when dealing with difficult people, we need to be wise 
and we need to be tactful. And he was. If we are going to stand for God, if we're, we're going to honor God in a world that won't, we need to be honorable, and we do that by honoring others and showing them respect and kindness, using tact and wisdom, running from divisive, hate-filled rhetoric, even with the people we don't think deserve our honor. This was the way of Daniel, and this is the way of Jesus. We stand with honor. Number three, we stand with persistence. We stand with persistence. I just want you to notice how, maybe you, you saw this, or you caught this as we were working our way through the chapter, but the first time Daniel makes a request for kosher food instead of the food sacrificed to the Babylonian gods, the chief official denied him. He told him no. Verse 10, the official said, I'm afraid of my Lord. I'm afraid of the king who has assigned your food and drink. Why should he see you looking worse than, than the other young men your age? The king would have my head because of you. No, Daniel, I can't, I can't accommodate your request. The official's first answer was no, but, but then Daniel did what my kids do when I say no. They ask again and again and again. And again, until they wear me out and I give in. That's persistence. Daniel didn't take no for an answer. He asked again and again, and he did it politely, and he showed honor, but he also showed persistence. He didn't quit when it got hard. In fact, he got creative, and he said, well, let's just try this for 10 days. Can you give us just 10 days? And if it doesn't work our way, we'll try your way. When we take a stand, if we want to be effective, we need to be persistent. I love what the Apostle Paul says in Galatians chapter 6, verse 9, and it's a verse that I rehearse to myself and I think about and I reflect upon a lot. It's one of my favorite verses in the Bible. Paul says, let us not become weary. And folks, I get weary. Let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. You know, I, I invited my friend to church, but they said, no, don't give up. I keep trying to beat this addiction, but I'm still struggling. Don't give up. I'm trying to live for Jesus every day, but it's hard. Don't give up. I'm trying to do the right thing in my marriage or my relationships. Don't give up. I'm trying to lead my kids to Jesus and, and I'm not sure how it's going to play out. Don't give up. I'm trying to keep from getting sucked into all the toxic rhetoric in our world. I'm, I'm trying to live with joy when everyone around me is miserable. I'm trying to be who God wants me to be in a world that wants otherwise. Don't give up. Don't give up. Don't give up. Daniel was persistent. If we're going to honor God in a world that won't, it's not going to be easy. But we cannot give up. Don't give up. That's number three. Number four, we stand with quiet confidence. We stand with quiet confidence. Daniel was so confident 
that God's ways were better than the world's ways. He didn't feel like he, he needed to, you know, stand and yell at everybody. He just said, you know, just give us a chance to show you. Give me 10 days, see if we're not healthier than all of the young men who've been exiled. We'll see what happens. That's confident. Confidence, we need to stand with confidence and not arrogance, not pride, not an obnoxious, I told you so confidence with a quiet confidence like Daniel who simply believed if he obeyed God, then everything else would take care of itself. He was confident. There's a powerful lesson there for us. You know, we, we think we know a lot of things. We don't. We think we got a lot of things figured out. We don't. We think we have the right perspective on everything that's happening in our world. We don't. The truth is we only know what we're told and we have no way to know if what we're being told is even true. But here's what we can do. We can do what Daniel did. We can follow God and trust that God will take care of everything else. I don't worry so much anymore about what the news says or what people on social media say. I've decided to simply do my best in following God and trust, have a quiet confidence that he's gonna work everything out. And because he is good, it's gonna be good. You know, Janice and I don't have a perfect marriage. In fact, if you spend uh, much time with us, you will see some of our flaws. And, and if you knew all the battles we've had to face over the years, we've been married almost 25 years, you might even wonder, like, how, how do they survive? How do they make it? Because the thing we keep saying to each other is this. Let's just keep leaning in the right direction. Let's just keep being who we know God wants us to be. And let's trust that he will make it all work out. And we have a confidence in that, a confidence in him, not us. We're deeply flawed, but a confidence in him, a quiet confidence that he will do what he says he will do. And we trust in him. So here's our takeaway for today. And it's a challenge. And the challenge is to trust God with whatever it is you're battling. Whatever it is, give it to God, trust in him. Discover what God wants and then stand on it. Stand with honor, stand with persistence, stand with a quiet confidence and trust that God will work it out because he will. That's how we honor God in a world that won't. Let's pray. Father God, help us to honor you in a world that won't. Show us what hills are worth dying on and what hills aren't. 
Help us to take, take stands that honor you and the honor others, living in the loving tension of your grace and your truth. We pray this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. We pray this message has been a blessing to you. If we can pray for you or encourage you in any capacity, please let us know at FCCFM.org.